want you to think about darkness just for a second. In fact, let's do something together. Would you close your eyes? How would you like to walk around all the time just like that? Okay, you can open them. Have you ever gotten up in the middle of the night and you were in a strange place and there was no night light and you tried to fumble around in the darkness? You know, defined darkness is the absence of light. Did you hear that? Defined darkness is the absence of light. That means nobody had to create light. I mean, nobody had to create darkness. In fact, you can go back to Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Day 1. Day 2, it says, he said, let there be light, and there was light. Because we also find in verse 2, because darkness covered the, the face of the earth. God didn't, didn't design darkness. Darkness has just always been there. When God said, let there be light, it was not the sun and the moon and the stars because we know from the creation that light, that kind of light didn't come to three days later. Think about that. You see, it's like God wanted to give perfect light into this perfect world that he was going to create. And he wanted it to shine forever and ever and ever. In fact, did you know from my study, now I'm not a theologian, Brother Terry could correct me later. I'm not a theologian, but for me, I don't find any place in Scripture in those early chapters of creation where Adam ever got tired and had to sleep until God put him to sleep for that first divine surgery. And he took out a rib. Now, I heard this this week, so I just have to share it. Seven-year-old little Johnny went to Sunday school class. Little Johnny. I didn't say big Johnny. I said little Johnny. Okay. Little Johnny went to Sunday school class, and the teacher was teaching him about creation, heaven and earth and the firmament and the birds. And, and oh, by the way, God put Adam to sleep, and he did surgery, and he took out a rib. And Johnny just thought that was the most painful thing he'd ever heard. He took out a rib and made a woman and gave him... And gave him a wife, and so they went out on the playground after Sunday school as kind of a break. And the teacher walked out, and Johnny was laying on the ground, and he was holding his side. And she said, Johnny, what's wrong? He said, my side's hurting. I think I'm having a wife. The men are loving it, and the women are shaking their heads. I understand. But you know what the truth is? The truth is that we were designed to be immortal when God breathed his breath into Adam. And he had given us that perfect light that was going to shine no matter what until that slippery, sneaky serpent Satan slipped into the garden and sin came in. Now, please listen. When sin came into the garden, that divine light, was snuffed out, just like a light switch. And ever since that time, darkness has pervaded the earth. It's been in every heart. You can track it from Genesis 4 to present day. Darkness in heart in Genesis 4. We see the darkness in the heart when Abel was murdered. 
We see the darkness in the heart in Genesis 6 when the world got so corrupt that God had to send a flood in the days of Noah. We see the darkness in the heart in Sodom and Gomorrah when there was not one righteous man to be found in Sodom and Gomorrah. We see the darkness in the heart in Jacob as sneaky and deceiving as he was. We see the darkness in the heart of the twelve brothers when they took Joseph and they put him in a, in a, literally a tomb in that well that they sold him into slavery. We see a darkness in the heart when David is supposed to go off to war and the sin and the darkness pulled him back to be on that rooftop where we know what started there. We see darkness in the heart of the New Testament when Peter said, I don't know him. He had spent three years face to face with Jesus and when the pressure came on, he said, I don't know him. We see the darkness in the heart of the Saul of Tarsus as he stands and guards the clothes and the pocketbook of those folks who killed Stephen. We see the darkness in the heart of John Mark when he came back from the mission trip because the going got too tough. We see the darkness in the heart of Judas who spent three years with Jesus and then betrayed him. But folks, we don't have to stay in the New and Old Testament. We see the darkness of the heart down the, the stairway of time, even to the 20th century when we see people like Hitler killing Jews. We see the darkness in the heart when we see Jeffrey Dahmer killing and eating people. We see the darkness in the heart when Ted Bundy kills and rapes young ladies. But listen, folks, we can see the darkness of the heart of people in this town. How long ago was it? just over by First Methodist Church that we saw folks get killed. But listen, we can see the darkness of the heart, not from the criminals. We can see the darkness of the heart even in this room if we'll look deep enough into our hearts. We see darkness of the heart every time we make a decision to do something other than what our Lord has called us to do and to be. Every time we make a decision that something else is more important than our Lord. That's why today as we look at this truth that I declare to you that is, is into this dark world. Remember Isaiah said, the people walking in darkness. And it is into this world, into this dark environment, that Jesus came to bring life and light. And this morning, I want to keep this very simple. I'd like to tell you it's going to be short, but it's not going to be long. But I want you to get it. I want you to get it. I want to give you some truths about the Christ child. Some truths about the Christ child. Go ahead, Zach. Truth number one is the simple truth. It is the simple truth because it is so simple, sometimes we miss it. And yet it is something that we need to get. Now, when you're through writing, let me have your eyes. I have become very aware that with you're becoming note-taking that I lose you from time to time. So stay with me this morning. This truth is so simple that everybody needs to get it. The scripture says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, I'm just, I'm going to pause just a second to tell you this. Before I became a Christian, Brother Terry, and I was reading the Bible, this was Greek. I didn't understand this. It made no sense. It was biblical double talk. But watch this. In the beginning was the Word, the Logos. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the Word was in the beginning with God and was God. That's the mystery of the Trinity. But now look, in verse 2, he changed from being 
the word to he, verse 2 through 5, to he and him. He was with God. And all things were created through him and apart from him. Life was in him. You see, the truth is, the truth is, this simple truth is that Jesus was in the beginning. He was involved in creation. He was there. And I'm going to suggest to you that the simple truth that we need to get about Jesus, we can say in two very simple statements. When we think about all the creation, number one is that he oversees. He oversees. He oversees all creation. He was there in the beginning. He watched it. He was involved in it. Now watch this. And he was responsible for it. And he is responsible for it. You see, it didn't surprise him the world went dark. But here's the truth. Jesus was so committed to this world that he felt responsible for it. Now, have you ever had a responsibility? If I don't say something about it, somebody's going to beat me up afterward. But here's what I will tell you. Being a closet Florida fan is that what struck me yesterday at that SEC champion football game was this. Nick Saban took responsibility last year for losing that game, and he was willing to go to whatever ends it was. He was determined, he was passionate that it wasn't going to happen again. May I just say this? You weren't going to lose two times to Florida on his watch. Now watch this. Here's what I see, the parallel to that. Jesus looked across the world. He saw the darkness pervading mankind. He remembered through history the time that God had to execute judgment. He knew that someone was need, and he accepted that responsibility. And he said, this world will not die with no light on my watch. I'll do whatever it takes. You see, he oversees. He oversees your life, and he does not want you to die in darkness. The reason for the manger in Bethlehem is because he's overseeing what's going on. He is the creator. He is the sustainer. He is the life. He is the light. Now that brings us to this. If it's not going to, if darkness is not going to win, the darkness of sin and suffering and shame is not going to win on Jesus' watch. That's why number two, you can find it in verse five. He not only oversees, he overcomes. It says, the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. You remember that, you remember that Isaiah passage I, was, I mentioned earlier? It's found in Isaiah 9. It says this, the people walking in darkness. You know who that is? That's everybody. Do you know that's you? The people walking in darkness. We are in such a dark world today that we don't even know we're in darkness. Can you imagine walking around in darkness and not realizing you're in darkness? You think you'd stomp your toe, Teddy? You think you'd trip and fall? The people walking in darkness, all people, have seen a great light. That would be Jesus. On those living in the land of darkness, that would be all people living on earth. A great light has dawned in that light. Is found in the manger in Bethlehem. You see, when Jesus came in, the light had come. Just as surely as the wise men followed the star, the light of Jesus is available to quench the darkness in your life. 
But you know what? It's pretty interesting. Jesus has made life and light available to everybody here. To everybody through the centuries. And yet, that brings up the second truth. And that is the sad truth. The sad truth. Now, in order to set this up, put this in your mind. God the Father loves this world so much. Knowing how you and I walk in darkness, we just kind of do what we want to do. We have our fun and we go do our things and we kind of put God on the sideline except Sunday morning, what Vance Habner calls the morning glories. And God wanted us to understand this baby in a manger. He wanted us to welcome and receive him and recognize him so much that you know what he did? He sent a special messenger to introduce Jesus to this world. That's the one that I'm overlooked reading about in verse 6. There was a man named John. Everybody know this is John the Baptist. John was given the assignment of introducing Jesus to the world in first person. And you know what the message of John was? I'll give it to you in three or four or five bullet points. Number one, it was repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from your wicked ways. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The second was, there is someone coming after me. I'm not the one. He's coming, and I'm not worthy to bend down and even untie his shoelaces. He says, I baptize you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, John came at the insistence of the Father, at the call of the Father, and he introduced this world to Jesus. And you go, well, that's not a sad truth. No, but there are two sad truths here. Even with that first-hand introduction, the world didn't recognize Jesus. The world didn't recognize him. Zach? You know, um, Jonathan was in, a, um, was in theater when he was in college. And we went to see a lot of, uh, a lot of plays. They did a Romeo and Juliet. He was Romeo. I accused him of being Juliet. He said, no, Dad, I wasn't, I'm not going to be Juliet. He said, the reason I applied for Romeo because I know who got Juliet. So you figure that one out. We went to see one of the shows, and I don't even remember which one it was, maybe Beyond the Horizon. And we walked in before the curtain, and, and we were just kind of mulling, mulling around, and this lady walked up to me. And I knew by the look in her eyes she was coming to hug my neck. And I didn't know who she was. And normally that had been okay, but Deborah was standing with, No, I'm teasing. <clears throat> And so I extended my hand to shake her hand. And she spoke to me. And when she spoke to me, it was a very familiar voice, one I recognized immediately. It was a first cousin of mine that I hadn't seen in 20 years, and we were very close. It wasn't a matter that she had gotten ugly or old or things like that. She just looked different. I didn't recognize her physically. I did recognize her voice. But I thought, as I, as I read this, that the world didn't recognize him. <clears throat> I have wondered what would happen if when Janlin walked up to me, I'd go, who are you? Well, I'm, I'm Janlin. You, know, you remember? 
Well, no, I don't. I wonder how she'd have felt. And that made me wonder after God went to such lengths to introduce Jesus to us. That not only did they not recognize him back then, but we don't recognize him today. But there's a reason we don't reckon people don't recognize Jesus today. Please listen. Because the Jesus that we purport to be Jesus today is not Jesus of the Bible. Jesus of the Bible does not represent at all what we see today. Today, we have Jesus kind of set in a, this corner, this almost effeminate man who is so sensitive and he does nothing but just play with lambs and children and we see all his soft and sensitive side. Yes, he had that side. But you need to remember, Jesus was a carpenter. And he was a carpenter, Rodney, before there were any power tools. When they had to get wood, they went to the woods and they cut it down and they loaded that tree up on the wagon and... And they carried it in, and then they had to make their their lumber from those trees. Jesus' hands were not jerking soft. They were work hard. Jesus' muscles didn't look like mine. They looked like Dale's. He was a man's man. I mean, how else could he have stood before those self-righteous Pharisees and called them a brood of snakes, vipers? And they not come get him. The Jesus we portray today is nothing more than a cross between Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, and Granddaddy. And Jesus is so much more than that. A man that that would be as frail as we think he being would have never stood up to the punishment of Calvary. Why doesn't the world recognize him? Maybe it's because that we don't portray him right. The sad truth is today, he came to his all, he came to the world that he created, and the world that's us didn't recognize him. We don't recognize him. And so you know what that leads to? If the world doesn't recognize him, the world didn't receive him. It says that right there. He says he came to his own people. And his own people did not receive him. Now, obviously, he's talking about the Jews at this point, but it can be the, those in, within the church family today. That word received in most translations is interpreted received, but it's also interpreted they didn't accept him. They didn't welcome him. And even in one antithesis, it says they rejected him. The sad truth is, Jesus came to bring life and life. This little baby in the manger is going to become the sacrifice of Calvary one day to, to forgive mine and your sin, to give us eternal life, to give us abundant life, to, to make our path straight, to make every mountain low and, every, and bring every hill low and, and make every valley straight. He's come to give us the way. That's the Christ child. And yet we don't recognize many times and we do not receive. Because if we receive him, we're afraid he's going to step on our convenience today. I'm reading a book 
a sermon by Vance Havner. Love Vance Havner. Nobody knows how to turn a phrase like Vance Havner. He says, we live in a world of guided missiles and misguided men. You see, folks, the sad truth is Jesus still stands with his arms outstretched. And today the world's not receiving him. And I suggest to you that it's because they don't recognize him. Because they don't see the real Jesus in us. And it causes some bad things to happen. Because of misconceptions. And that brings us to the third truth. The solid truth. The solid truth. You know, when I read this and when I, when I started studying this, it jumped out at me that there are only two groups of people in this whole world. One's the large group and one's a subset. Let me give it to you like this. First of all, all of us are his creation. All of us are his creation. You look in verse 3, it says, All things were cr- created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. Verse 10 says he was in the world, and the world was created through him. That tells me that every person to ever take a breath on this earth was created by God. It means, yes, he created the Hitlers of the world, the Mussolinis, the Stalins. He also created the Billy Grahams. It tells us that we are all under his hand, in his image, that every person here, young or not so young, young or old, fat or thin, all people are created in his image by him. And it's because that we are his by creation. That he offers to us the life and light that we find in this text. But now listen, we can revel that all of us are his creation. But listen, make no mistake, only some of us are his children. Only some of us are his children. He says to all who received him, only to them, only to them did he give the right to become the children of God. You see, he's created us in his image. He has given us breath and life and health and a hope. But listen, you don't become a child. You don't become a child. You don't become an offspring by osmosis. You don't become a a dependent by default. It's an intentional process. In fact, as I understand becoming a child, there's only two ways to become a child in a family. That is by adoption and birth. Adoption is where some reasonably responsible people, I said that for Kelly and Eddie, reasonably responsible people decide to take someone in and sign their name to it. 
By the way, in the old days uh, of the Bible, when you adopted a child, you could not ever disown them. They were yours forever and ever and ever. And the Bible teaches us that in the family of God, we are engrafted and we are adopted. But you know, you have to be born to get into a family. Don't you? Now, you, well, Brother Jerry, what if you're born over here and then they adopt you? little baby that Kelly and Eddie have graciously taken into their home was born someplace else, but he was still born. But he was still born. The Bible says that you have to be born. And only those folks who've come to Christ. Let me say it this way. Only those folks who've been born and adopted are part of his family. That's a solid truth. People can stand on in Washington, San Francisco, or wherever else, say, we're all God's children. And I go, that's not what the book says. We're all God's creation. But only those who come by the way of the cross, only those who've invited Christ in their life are God's children. And that brings us that we have to talk about the fourth truth. And the fourth truth is the saving truth. The saving truth. If I was not in such a, quote, friendly environment, I would ask who wants to be saved. Hoping everybody would raise their hands. Well, please listen. There are two things that we need to get in our minds, even from this text and accompanying text, if we want to be saved. Saved from what, Brother Jerry? Well, the Bible says we're saved from hell. The Bible says we're saved from death. The Bible says we're even saved from our sin. Today, we can, be, we can be saved from the power of sin. And one day, we can be saved from the penalty and the presence of sin. But what do we have to do? There are two, two truths. Number one, we have to believe right. We have to believe right. Now, please listen. Somebody told me one time I was very narrow-minded that I didn't think anybody but Baptists were going to heaven. You know what I told them, Mike? I was more narrow than that. I didn't think all Baptists were going to make it. You see, it's not a matter of what label you wear. It's a matter of what you believe. We have those visiting with us today that may not... Understand this belief is all based on this word. It's not just something I've conjured up. I've said many times to this congregation that it'd be an unloving God, an unloving God, to tell us that he wanted us to go to heaven and not tell us how. And we have a God of love that's told us how. Let me tell you some of the things you have to believe. You must believe that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning. With God. You must believe that Jesus is God. You must also believe that Jesus is God's Son. Well, Brother Jerry, how exactly does that work? Well, guess what? People are a lot smarter than me have tried to break that down. Nobody has yet been able to define it in our finite minds, but God knows how it's all put together. Jesus left heaven. You must believe, and He came to earth through the virgin womb of a girl. 
Brother Jerry, is it important for us to believe in the virgin birth? You betcha. Because if she was not a virgin, Jesus was just an illegitimate child. But as it is, as that virgin birth and the Holy Spirit came, overcame her and impregnated her with that divine seed, now he is part God and part man. He is all God. He is all man. I don't understand it. I just know it to be true. Jesus lived a perfect life. You have to believe that. If you don't believe Jesus lived a perfect life, there is no way to be saved because if, he, if he'd sinned ever, when he died on the cross, he had to die for his sin. He couldn't have died for mine. And you must believe that he gave his life for you. God loved the world so much. In fact, he demonstrated his love. And he allowed Jesus to leave heaven, come to earth as the babe in Bethlehem. To pay for our sin. To bring us forgiveness. And to redeem our dark lives. To bring light to where there's darkness. To bring life to where there's death. That's why Jesus came. That's what Christmas is all about. We get all excited about giving our three-year-old and our six-year-old and our five-year-old and each other presents. Let me tell you the best present that's ever been given. It is the gift of light and life given from our Savior. And if you want to back it up a little further than that, the best gift beyond that is that God gave the gift of Jesus to you and me. But what do we do with Him? Do we believe right? Or do we just kind of believe like we want to believe? Huh. We not only have to be right, believe right, we have to be birthed right. Nicodemus came to Jesus. He said, okay, how does this happen? Jesus said it's recorded two times in three verses. Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Hello? I didn't make that up. Unless you are born again, not of flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. There was a little boy one time who made a, himself a little boat. He carved on that boat for quite a while. He carved that little boat out, got his little shell together, punched him a little hole in it, got him a little little sail, and boy, it looked so nice. And he decided to go out and sell it. There had been this big rain, water was everywhere. And so he went out to the little ditch, and he put the boat there, and he gave it a little thump. And the next thing you know, the current got it. And it's gone. He ran down the ditch, ran, and he could not ever find it. So sad. Several weeks passed. He's walking home from school one day, and every day he walked past a little pawn shop. And this day he walked in there, and there was his boat. He walked into the manager and he said, that's my boat. He said, no, sir, I bought the boat. The guy found it, brought it in, and I paid him good money for it. 
The boy said, you don't understand, I made that boat. He said, no. He said, you may have made it, but I bought it, so it's mine. Okay, how much you want for it? Guy told him, went home, did some work around the house, around other people's houses, collected the money, and he walked back in, and he laid the money down, and he bought his boat back. He got that boat that he was so proud of, and he walked out of the store, and this is what he said. He said, little boat, you were twice mine. Once because I created you, and once because I bought you. You see, I've heard it said many times for you and me. If you're born once, you'll die twice. You'll die the physical death, and then you'll die an eternal death. But if you're born twice, you only die once. What will you do with Jesus? The truths about the Christ child, what will you do with him?